Good morning. It's always a, uh, a joy, a privilege, a humbling honor to get to preach to you. Um, if you uh, have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it with me to um, 1 John, near the end of your Bible. We'll spend uh, a good bit of our te- uh, time looking at that text to try and figure out what John is trying to say here. So let's pray before we get started. Gracious God, we, uh, we thank you that you have not left us in darkness. You have called us to life through the power of your son, Jesus. And we thank you that you are a God who has chosen to reveal himself to us in your written word. And so, God, I ask that during this time, um, we, would, we would see you and we would leave here knowing you better. Send your Holy Spirit to be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, there was a uh, TikTok that went viral, so let's just pause there. For those of you who are uh, unfamiliar with what TikTok is, it's a social media app, kind of like Facebook, except uh, it's all videos. So you can scroll endlessly watching videos. You can make your own videos. They can literally be about anything. Some of them could be educational, though most of them aren't. They could be artistic. They could be funny. Uh, Literally, if you can dream it, it's, it's probably there. Uh, but recently, one, one TikTok went viral, and it was made by uh, a pastor, and the, the title Reverend is even in his username. And on his, on his TikTok profile, he uh, lists himself, describes himself as a public theologian. So he uses that app to try and talk about God, to answer questions about God. Uh, he means good by it, I think. And uh, he does a series where he answers questions, so people can comment questions that they have, and he'll answer them. And so the question he's trying to answer in the one that went viral is this. Is Jesus the only way to salvation? Let's pause. Like, there's a lot at stake in that question, right? So we should think to ourselves as Christians, how, how would we answer that, right? We should have an answer for that. His answer is... Um, that no, Jesus is not the only way to salvation. Uh, in fact, there are, there are many ways that you can achieve salvation. And his ultimate point is, at the end of the day, we should just try to love people where they are. And so I want us to, to we can close our eyes, but we have to reopen them in a minute, okay? So that's the, that's the, you have to promise me that. So we can close our eyes here and let's picture two things, okay? First, I want you to imagine people within this guy's church And they hear him preach week after week saying uh, that there are many ways to achieve salvation. Jesus isn't the only one. And really, I want you to imagine what they must think when they hear other Christians say, Jesus is the only way to salvation. And what kind of crisis that might cause in them or what kind of confusion that might cause. Or second, I, I want you to imagine maybe Young people scrolling through, through TikTok. I say young people because I think that's primarily people who are on TikTok. Um, I want you to picture them, people who, uh, young people who have been hearing the gospel preached to them by their friends and family members saying, you need to accept Jesus as the only way to salvation. And, and maybe they feel the weight of their sin and they know that they're in need of a savior. And then they hear some guy, 
a pastor from a place of authority saying Jesus is not the only way to salvation. I want you to imagine how that must feel, what they must be feeling, hearing two different things. You can, you can open your eyes now. I think that they would feel confused, and I think that confusion leads to a lack of confidence. And so just to be transparent with you, I think that in, in some ways I've experienced a little bit of this. I was um, baptized as a baby, if you want to call it baptism, as a baby uh, in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Went through two years of confirmation with them. My family kind of stopped going to church, so I picked back up with some friends, went to United Methodist Church. There's a lot of difference there, right? And, and I stand here this morning as a member of a Baptist church at a Baptist seminary. I don't, I don't want you to hear me the wrong way. I think I'm in the right place now. But a whole life of hearing different ideas has caused a little bit of theological confusion within me. And, and so sometimes I think... Uh, I have a lack of confidence in some places I should be confident. And I have to, when I hear somebody say something, I need to ask myself, is that, is that actually true? Do I really believe that? So in some ways, I think that the church John writes to is experiencing confusion a little bit like this. They were a people who had heard opposing beliefs about God and his son Jesus Christ. And because of this, there's some confusion that needs to be uh, cleared up. So let's review a little bit of our context before we jump right back into, into the text. So if you'll remember from our, our last time together in 1 John, uh, 1 John is a letter. It's written by the Apostle John, so somebody who is really close to our Lord Jesus, was even entrusted to look after Jesus' mother. And it's likely that this letter was written in a ripe old age by John to a local church with pastoral care and concern. We don't know the exact location of the church, but it's likely that John wrote this letter, sent it to a church, and it was passed from church to church in, an, in, an, in a particular area. And the occasion that prompted the letter to be written and sent was that there were a group of dissenters within the church who had broken away from the church. And remember, they, they didn't leave for good reason. They didn't leave because they were moving to a new area and had to find a new church. They left the church, and they left the faith, and they didn't leave quietly. They left teaching other things, claiming a higher understanding or a higher orthodoxy, and ultimately they were teaching that Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, and so Jesus didn't actually die, and because of that, his work didn't really accomplish anything. So John writes this letter to this group of Christians. He wants to make it abundantly clear that Jesus, the Son of God, did come in the flesh to live and die in our place so that we can have forgiveness and that we can have fellowship with one another and fellowship ultimately with God the Father. And so that brings us to our text this morning, verses 5 through 10. Let's read it one more time. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So the main point I want us to take away from this text this morning is this. Christians are called to walk in the light shown from the God of light. And with that, we'll have three points. First, we're going to look at what John means when he says the God of light. Second, we need to have a healthy fear of the darkness. And third, we're going to bask in that light. So point number one, the God of light. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So remember, church is confused about who God is, what Jesus has accomplished, how they should live in light of that. And so John jumps right into the heart of the matter, dealing with the character of God. Who is he and what is he like? And his answer to that question is, God is light. So, God's, God is light. What, is, what does that mean? That's kind of the million-dollar question, right? And there's a lot riding on this word light and how we define it because uh, if, we, if we misdefine it, when he's, when he's talking about light later in the passage, we're going to misunderstand what we need to be doing as Christians. So light, just to be frank, can mean a number of different things. And to make things even more confusing, John can mean different things when he says light. So light could mean, it could mean life, it could mean truth or knowledge of the truth, it could mean uh, pure purity, it could mean holy or morally upright, and uh, to make things a little bit more complicated, we would, we would probably say that all of these things are true of God, right? He is life. In him we have the fullness of life. He is the fullness of knowledge, a fountain of truth. He is pure being, and he is holy and morally perfect. So only context can tell us what light means. So let's, let's look at the text. Let's see what's going on there. John says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And then, a little bit later, in other verses in this section, he contrasts light with darkness, going back and forth. So we know light and darkness are different things. They're opposite of one another. And according to the text, it seems that John is talking about a moral goodness or holiness. So why do we get that? Well, we get that because John is talking to the church about walking or remaining in the darkness. And traits of walking in darkness include not having fellowship with God, not having fellowship with one another. But more than this, though, John goes from talking about darkness to talking about sin. It's as if they are interchangeable to John. So walking in darkness, then, means walking in sin. And since that is true, light is the opposite of sin, and it would be holiness. So when John says God is light, he means that God is morally perfect. He is holy. In God is holiness, no speck of sin, death, evil, he is holy. He is perfect. And so now that we understand what that means, I want us to ask two questions about that. What, what does that mean for us since God is light? And is it good news? And if it is, why is it good news? So what does it mean for us? Our God is a God of light. He is perfect. And as Christians, we are called to walk in that light. We're called to reflect that light, be bearers of that light. But it also means that our standard for holiness is high. 
We're called to reflect the light of God. Leviticus 11.45, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. We are to be holy as God is holy. Moral perfection, holiness is our standard, and any deviation from that we would call sin. But what, what does that mean for us? I want us to be really, really practical, feet on the ground here. I think it means a few things. It means, one, that we are to strive for holiness because God is holy. The God we serve is holy. I think, number two, it means that the only comparison that we should make, the only one that we can measure ourselves up against, is God. We should not look at our neighbor and say, well, at least I am better than them. Or we should not look at the world and say, well, compared to the world, I think I'm pretty, pretty good. I think I'm doing okay. Being holier than your neighbor does not get you into heaven. And sanctification is not a comparative race with the people around you. Our standard for holiness is God, the God of light. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that we achieve that salvation. So, why is this good news for us? We see what it means, what it means for us practically. Why is that good news? That our God is a God of light. In our lives as humans, no person we will ever interact with this side of eternity is perfect. They are all sinners. And even those that we love dearly are still sinners. I love my wife dearly, and I don't want to hurt her. I don't ever intentionally hurt her. But we live together 24-7, and we get on each other's nerves because we're both sinners. And I know that she loves me, but she's a sinner too, and she's going to hurt me. Right now, I'm, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, where the other day we got ice falling from the sky, and my wife's in Florida for the next week where it's 80 degrees. And I know that she loves me, but I'm still hurt, right? I'm here. <laughs> This is just true because this is who we are. But brothers and sisters, we look to a day when we are in the presence of the God of light in whom there is no darkness. The God that we serve is perfectly holy. He will not forsake us, and everything that he does for us is for our eternal good. And we're called to live in and reflect that light. So that's point one, the God of light. Let's move to point two. We should have a healthy fear of darkness. So John, if you haven't noticed already, writes this in a little bit of a different pattern. He goes back and forth between light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. So we're going to deal with those categorically. So here we're going to deal with the darkness, and in the next point we'll deal with the light. So that means we are going to look at verses 6, 8, and 10 about darkness. And what I hope that we'll get from this section is that we should have a healthy fear of darkness. So let's start by looking at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So John says we can't walk in the darkness and have fellowship with the God of light in whom there is no darkness. So it seems immediately from the text that there were some uh, in the church, probably those who broke away, who were claiming they had fellowship God, with God while their life was one of walking in darkness. And John was prompted to write that statement. If you claim to have fellowship with him while you walk in darkness, you lie. And so there is a clear warning here about darkness that we need to be aware of 
that we need to be reminded of. And so with that, I've got two sub points about darkness. First, let's just have a fear of darkness, and then we'll qualify that in a minute. So brothers and sisters, we should be afraid of the darkness. Sin separates us from God and leads to death. And in the darkness, there is no life and there is no fellowship. And I know that most of our parents probably spent a good bit of time convincing their children that they shouldn't be afraid of the dark, that they don't need a nightlight. I, I, think, I think, though, that, that we should. So let's define darkness. Darkness, the way that John uses it in the context of light and dark as we have seen, means sin. And so when John says walking in darkness, he means walking in sin. Walking in darkness, walking in sins means not walking in the light of God, and not walking in the light of God leads to death. So this is obviously important. What does he mean? Let's put feet on the ground again, very practical. What does he mean when he says walking in darkness? I think what he means is walking in constant, unrepentant sin. Christians who know the God of light cannot then go and walk in darkness, walking in constant, unrepentant sin. We're called to confess it, to repent of it, and to walk in the light. And so what what are we to do with this, right? We are a church. And more than that, we're a Baptist church, which means we believe in regenerate church membership. So by that, we should be a people of the light. But I want to make, I want to make two observations. First, people go through seasons of life where they are more distant from God and more prone to sin than in other times. We experience seasons of weakness, and we experience seasons of stronger temptation. So... So I I would encourage all of us this morning to to listen to the Holy Spirit and see what he's saying to you. Maybe he is trying to expose an area of sin in your life and then take that, confess it, repent of it, and walk in the light. And second, second observation I want to make is that there are going to be people in the last days that think they are Christians but are not. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So again, brothers, sisters, let's examine our fruit. Let's see if we are in the light or if we are in the darkness. So we should have a fear of the darkness because it separates us from God. But I want to add a qualifier here because I think that John does. We don't need to have a crippling fear of darkness if we are in Christ. While it's true that darkness separates us from God, we have forgiveness in Christ and we have hope. And with that, we can face the day. John even says, if we say we have not sinned and if we claim we have no sin... Brothers and sisters, we sin, we will sin, we'll continue to sin. Sin will affect us until the day that we die. But if we confess our sin and repent and walk in the light, we are forgiven. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in our next point. So we don't need to have a crippling fear when we fall. So when I say a healthy fear, um, I mean that when, when you sin, when we sin as Christians, we should see it, we should call it what it is, we should confess it, we should repent of it, and then we should walk in the light. 
knowing that you are forgiven. But fear is a good thing, right? Like our senses of like pain, it tells us that something is wrong. Uh, fear specifically tells us that there is or could be danger present. I was a uh, youth director in Tennessee for about five years before I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And on a, one occasion, we were having a church work day. There were a number of projects that needed to get done, including like touching up paint, pulling weeds. And for some reason, I don't remember, but for some reason, there was a project that involved people getting on the roof of the church. So I volunteered for that job because it sounded like the most fun. But I, I don't really like heights, but I thought I'll just man up and do it. Uh, so when I got on that roof and turned around and looked and saw, uh, it was only a one-story church, by the way. Keep that in mind. I started to shake. I was like, I'm going to hit the, I'm just going to sit here, and I need, to, I need to gain some confidence before I can literally do anything. I did not help with anything that needed to get done on the roof. I just sat there because I was afraid and humiliated. I had half a mind to just call the fire department, just like sedate me and wake me back up whenever I'm on the ground, please. Um, so that's probably a little bit of an example of, of, of an unhealthy fear, but it does tell me that there's something, there's potential danger there. If, if you get near that edge and you fall off, you're going to get hurt. And I think that that's kind of what we can take from this warning passage. Know that you sin, know that you will sin, know that darkness leads to not having fellowship with God. Be aware of that. Listen to the Spirit, walk in the light, expose and confess sin, and put to death the deeds of the flesh, and then walk confidently basking in the light of God, knowing that you're forgiven. So let's look now at our third and final point. Let's bask in the light. Let's deal with those passages about light, verses 7 and 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God is light. He is perfectly holy. And we're called to walk in that light. But we're born into darkness, born into sin. Darkness keeps us from having fellowship with God. But God has sent his one and only son into the world that we may have life and that we can have it abundantly. He has provided a way for us to be cleansed from our sin. And because of that, we can bask in the light shown from the God of light, having confidence that Jesus' atoning death has cleansed us from our sin. So John weaves together in this section warning about sin and the good news of us being cleansed from that sin. Let's, let's look back at the text. He's writing to a church that is confused about God and how Christians ought to live. And John says, walk in the light. And if you're constantly walking in the darkness, then you don't have fellowship with God. But if you walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. He also says you can't claim to be sinless. You can't say you've never sinned. You can't say that you're without sin. But hear the good news. If you walk in the light, all of your unrighteousness is washed away. If you confess your sins, you are forgiven. So I want to ask the question, how, how can we walk in the light? What does that mean? And I think first, and this probably goes back to what we've already said, but first we need to make sure we're not constantly walking in darkness. You cannot walk in the light and in the darkness. So that's step one. The next thing I would say is we need to work on knowing our God 
the God of light better every day. If we want to be like him, walking in that light, we have to, we have to know him, right? We also walk in the light together as a church. We walk together as a church. We surround ourselves with people who walk in the light and can point us towards God, making sure that we're in the light. The, the church can reveal sin to us as well. There was, there was one time I was, at, uh, I was at work, actually, but all of the people I was working with in my media area were, were Christians, and we were all part of a local church. There were, th- there were three of us in particular, and we started talking about another coworker of ours who also was a Christian um, and how we, we didn't really like him. We, we didn't get along with him, and he was aggravating. And it went on for a couple of minutes, and then one of my, my friends at work just said, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to walk away. And I just remembered that, like, it hit me in that moment because I was in sin, and it had not yet been exposed to me. And just by him walking in the light for himself, it it exposed my sin. And, And I think that that's what Christians can do for each other and what we can do for each other as a church. So when you walk in the light, other people can see it. And sometimes God uses that to expose sin. One final thing I would say is, brothers and sisters, we would preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We remind ourselves daily of the work that God has done for us in Christ. And we keep our heads high knowing that in faith, Christ has accomplished what he has accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection for us. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So brothers and sisters, be warned that walking in unrepentant sin keeps you out of the fellowship. You are not with God if you are constantly walking in sin. Confess and walk in the light. But then brothers and sisters, let's bask in that light because we are forgiven in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would use it. Pray that that as we walk together as a church, we would see each other walking in the light and that you would use that light to reflect off of our brothers and sisters into our own lives to see sin that needs to be repented of. God, help us to have a healthy fear. Let's take sin seriously. But, brothers, but God, I, I pray that, that we would leave here in a confidence with our heads held high that we are forgiven in Christ. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.